One Hope Church. Good morning. It's a honor and privilege and pleasure to always be here in the mornings. Um, so thank you, thank you for being here. Um, my name is Marcus. If you can't remember, or haven't we haven't met? Um, Chet and Derek asked me to preach this today because Derek's leading house fellowship and he's got Romans, so that's a pretty hefty. And then you know Chet's out of out of the country, um, so it's always a privilege and an honor um, when they ask me to do this. And um, it always seems to be in like one of the most chaotic times in my life when they ask me to <laughs> to speak. It just seems to be great timing. Um, in fact, when Chet sent me an email and asked me to do this, you know, usually. Um, I was actually at work when I got it, and so um, I kind of was like, usually I'm, I just say, hey, I'm, I'm willing to do whatever you guys need, and then later that night, I took a closer look at the email and saw he was asking me to read 1 Samuel 9, chapters 9 and 10, two whole chapters in 1 Samuel, and I was like, uh, maybe, maybe I should second, you know, second guess that. Um, so if you would with me this morning, turn to 1 Samuel um, chapters 9 and 10, we'll be looking through those. Um, first, we'll, I'll read through the scripture and I'll just note some observations. Um, we won't go into too much detail um, on these observations. They're just interesting points, um, unique things to look at, maybe certain little character. Um, they give a little insight into the character of Saul, who we'll be talking about, who's introduced this morning, and some about Samuel. Um, there's a lot here. It's, I mean, it's two full chapters. Um, so I've kind of tried to pick out a few things after we go through the observations. We'll talk about some applications. Um, there are three main things that I want us to talk about. Um, and be ready, because I just downed a whole cup of coffee, which is one more than I normally do. So <laughs> be prepared. I might get up here shaking. It's part, part nerves and part the coffee. So, um, so without any, any further intro, let's, let's dig in um, first with prayer. Um, Heavenly Father, we thank you for this day. Um, thank you for your beautiful weather, and thank you for our fellowship together. Um, thank you for this church and this community that you've created. And um, Lord, we thank you so much for your great love for us, and how, um, though you are massive and huge and um, omnipotent and great, um, that you still um, dive into the lives of each and every one of us and have a specific purpose and plan for us. Um, so God, I just pray that this morning your presence would be known, um, that your spirit would move in our hearts, that our hearts would be soft and awake um, willing to learn, willing to hear your truth. Um, I pray that um, you would move in us and change in us anything that needs to be changed and that you would um, give us a greater love for you this morning. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, so I'll read, and as I read, I'll, I'll pause periodically to talk um, about the, the passage we read, okay? Um, all right, so starting at verse 1, chapter 9. There was a man of Benjamin whose name was There was a man of Benjamin whose name was Kish, the son of Abiel, son of Zeror, son of Becherath, son of Aphia, a Benjamite, a man of wealth. And he had a son whose name was Saul, a handsome young man. There was not a man among the people of Israel more handsome than he. From his shoulders upward he was taller than any of the people. So here last week um, Chet spoke um, on 7 and 8, and it's where Israel begins to demand for a king. They ask God to give them a king. Um, we'll talk more about that um, later. But So that's the context here. Is Israel has asked God for a king, even though it's not God's will for them to have a king at this time. Um, it was God's will for them to have a king, just not at this moment in time. So Israel's kind of trying to get ahead of themselves here. Um, and uh, Samuel is the prophet... Um, of Israel right now. He's the one who's kind of been leading Israel and, and God's word and God's truth. Um, so Samuel is God's prophet, and uh, here's where Saul is introduced. Saul is eventually going to be king of Israel. Um, so this is kind of the story about how he is anointed and how he becomes king. Um, notice here that he's handsome. He's a head taller than everybody else. So he's, I mean, by all you know aspects of human design, he's he is what you would think would be a king. Like if you saw him, if he was standing in this room and you know we all lined up, everyone would point at him and be like, that's the guy who needs to be king. Um, that's, that was his stature. That's what he looked like. Of course, um, you know, God looks at the heart. So maybe to God's standards it's a little different, but from all of what we would want, Saul would be who we'd want. 
So, continuing on, now the donkeys of Kish, that's Saul's dad, were lost. So Kish said to Saul, his son, take one of the young men with you and arise, go and look for the donkeys. And he passed through the hill country of Ephraim and passed through the land of Shalisha, but they did not find them. And they passed through the land of Shalem, but they were not there. Then they passed through the land of Benjamin, but did not find them. When they came to the land of Zuf, Saul said to his servant, who, Saul said to his servant who was with him, Come, let us go back, lest my father cease to care about the donkeys and become anxious about us. But he said to him, as the servant said to Saul, Behold, there is a man of God in the city, and he is a man who is held in honor. All that he says comes true. So now let us go there. Perhaps he can tell us the way we should go. Then Saul said to his servant, But if we go, what can we bring the man? For the bread in our sacks is gone, and there is no present to bring the man of God. What do we have? The servant answered Saul again, Here I have with me a quarter of a shekel of silver, and I will give it to the man of God to tell us our way. Formerly, this is a little side note, formerly in Israel, when a man went to inquire of God, he said, Come, let us go to the seer. For today's prophet was formerly called a seer. So um, the prophet, what is known as a prophet now, was called a seer. And Saul said to his servant, Well said, come, let us go. So they went to the city where the man of God was. As they went up the hill to the city, they met young women coming out to draw water and said to them, Is the seer here? They answered, He is. Behold, he is just ahead of you. Hurry, he has come just now to the city because the people have a sacrifice today on the high place. As soon as you enter the city, you will find him before he goes up to the high place to eat. For the people will not eat till he comes, since he must bless the sacrifice. Afterward, those who are invited will eat. Now go up, for you will meet him immediately. So they went up to the city as they were entering. Um, as they were entering the city, they saw Samuel coming out toward them on his way up to the high place. So we'll just pause for a minute here. Um, it's interesting that they talk about the high place because in the past Israel was sacrificing and um, worshiping idols up in the high place. Um, but here, they're, Samuel is going to sacrifice and worship to God. So it's kind of recently. Um, Samuel and the Lord kind of saved Israel as they kind of turned back to God, and Samuel was able to reestablish the high place as a place of worship for God. So verse 15, Now the day before Saul came, the Lord had revealed to Samuel, Tomorrow about this time I will send to you a man from the land of Benjamin, and you shall anoint him to be prince over people, over my people Israel. He shall save my people from the hand of the Philistines, for I have seen my people, because their cry has come to me. When Samuel saw, saw Saul, the Lord told him, Here is the man of whom I spoke to you. He it is who shall restrain my people. Then Saul approached Samuel on the gate and said, Tell me where is, the, where is the house of the seer? And Samuel answered Saul, I am the seer. Go up before me to the high place, for today you shall eat with me. And in the morning I will let you go and will tell you all that is on your mind. And for, as for your donkeys that were lost three days ago, do not set your mind on them, for they have been found. And for whom is all that is desirable in Israel? Is it not for you and for all your father's house? Saul answered, Am I not a Benjamite from the least of the tribes of Israel? And is not my clan the humblest of all clans of the tribe of Benjamin? Why then have you spoken to me in this way? So we'll pause here for a second as well. Um, Notice in verse 16, I found this interesting, and again, we'll talk more about it in the, uh, near the end, but it says, he will be anointed prince, prince over his people. Um, now, I think some translations, that, most of them that I read either said prince, um, leader, commander, or ruler. None of them said king. All of them said something as a, a leader of the people, but not necessarily king. Um, I also found it interesting, not all versions said this, I'm reading from the English um, Standard Version, ESV, um, but it said that the prince is to rule or restrain God's people. Um, remember, Israel's asking for a king out of their fear, not necessarily out of God's will. And so um, God has given them warning after warning, and at this point he's kind of said, hey, look, there are consequences to you having a king right now. Um, and that continues here. Um, verse 19 it says that um, as Saul goes to Samuel Samuel tells him you'll eat with me and tomorrow I will tell you all that is on your mind 
Saul probably didn't expect to hear that from the seer. I mean, he, he went to just ask one simple question, and before he's even able to get a word out, the seer's like, I'm about to tell you everything you want to know. That's, that's pretty, that's a lot to take in. I'm sure Saul was like, whoa, 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 I just, just kind of want to, one question and then I want to go home. We've been gone for a few days, like my dad's worried about me and I need to get back. I don't want to sit here and be told everything. I just, I just want this one thing to go home. And, uh, you know, often we, we act that way too. And I don't want to get too far ahead into application, but often, um, you know, Lord's going to reveal something to us. And sometimes it, it means it's life-changing. It means we have to be uncomfortable. It means that something in our lives is going to change when God reveals a truth to us or something to us. And that we hesitate often. We, we hesitate because we don't necessarily want things to change or want things to be uncomfortable or we like the way things are in our lives. We like our habits and our, our mindsets, but God has a, has a better way. And so I'm sure Saul was kind of facing some of that resistance, but, um, you know, how can you resist the prophet of Israel saying, hey, come eat with me. You're going to sit at the place of honor at my table tonight. That's pretty cool. And then Saul thinking, you know, Saul has a really good mindset, I, I think. I think he's in, a, in the right place as far as humility here. He says, you know, who am I that you would do this for me? Who am I that you'd be willing to put me at the head of your table and dine with me? Um, you know, Saul does come from Benjamin, which is the smallest and kind of the least of the tribes of Israel. Um, and Saul here says that he's, his family is in the least of the families in the tribe of Benjamin, which I d- did find interesting considering at the beginning it says that uh, um, the Saul's dad um, had a lot of wealth, was very wealthy. Um, so Saul may have almost a too humble perspective, but um, I think he's got a good mindset right now. Um, so let's continue in the chapter 10, verse 1. So then Samuel took a flask of oil. Oh, wait, I'm sorry. I skipped, I skipped the whole section. Verse 22. Then Samuel took Saul and his young man and brought them into the hall and gave them a place at the head of those who had been invited, who were about 30 persons. And Samuel said to the cook, Bring the portion I gave you, of which I said to you, put aside. So the cook took up the leg and, that, and what was on it and set, set it before Saul. And Samuel said, See what was kept is set before you. Eat because it was kept for you until the hour appointed that you might eat with the guests. So Saul ate with Samuel that day. And when they came down from the high place into the city, a bed was spread for Saul on the roof, and he lay down to sleep. Then at break of dawn, Samuel called to Saul on the roof, Up, that I may send you on your way. So Saul rose, and both he and Samuel went out into the street. As they were going down to the outskirts of the city, Samuel said to Saul, Tell the servant to pass on before us. And when he had passed on, stop here yourself for a while, that I may make known to you the word of God. So I'm sure Saul, having seen the seer, was expecting just to get some sort of prophetic word, some sort of blessing, be on his way. That is not what happened. Then Samuel took a flask of oil and poured it on his head and kissed him and said, Has not the Lord anointed you to be prince over his people Israel? And you shall reign over the people of the Lord, and you will save them from the hand of their surrounding enemies. And this shall be a sign to you that the Lord has anointed you to be prince over his heritage. So let's pause there for a moment. I'm pretty sure that was shocking to Saul. You know, if, and a little bit earlier, it kind of alludes that Saul didn't necessarily know who the prophet was. Kind of talked about how Saul wasn't 100% sure who Samuel was. It was the servant who was like, hey, there's a, there's a seer here in this city we need to go see. And, you know, Saul wasn't very clear on that. So I'm not 100% sure... And this is kind of some inferences, which I hate to do, but some, you know, Saul may not have even known that Israel wanted a king. I mean, Saul may have been that clueless into the current events at this time. And so when Samuel anoints him with oil and then says, you're going to reign over his people, what kind of like shock would that be? Um, I also noticed that uh, Samuel did not give Saul a chance to protest this. Um, he anointed him first and then told him he was going to be king. <laughs> So I thought that was pretty funny because, you know, we would all want to resist that kind of calling. I mean, it's such a high position of authority, especially we saw how Saul, um, Saul's mindset and his humility, you know, he's, you know, I imagine this is like Samuel started to anoint him and he was probably like, all right, well, this is kind of weird. What's about to happen? And then Samuel says as he's doing it that you're going to be king. That's pretty shocking. Um, so 
Anyway, again, side note, he was told to be prince or leader or ruler. He was not said to be king. Um, Continuing verse 2. When you depart from me today, you will meet two men by Rachel's tomb in the territory of Benjamin at Zelzah, and they will say to you, The donkeys that you went to seek are found, and now your father has ceased to care about the donkeys and is anxious about you, saying, What shall I do about my son? Then you shall go on from there farther and come to the oak tree oak of Tabor. Three men going up to God at Bethel will meet you there, one carrying three young goats, another carrying three loaves of bread, and another carrying a skin of wine. And they will greet you and give you two loaves of bread, which you, sh- you will accept from their hand. After that, you shall come to Gibeoth Elohim, where there is a garrison of the Philistines. And there, as, you, as, as soon as you come to the city, you will meet a group of prophets coming down from the high place with harp, tambourine, flute, and lyre before them, prophesying. Then the Spirit of the Lord will rush upon you, and you will prophesy with them and be turned into another man. Now when these signs meet you, do what your hand finds to do, for God is with you. Then go down before me to Gogol, and behold, I am coming down to you to offer burnt offerings and a sacrifice peace offerings. Seven days you shall wait until I come to you and show you what you shall do. Pause there again for a minute. Um, Again, we just talked about how Saul may have had a difficult difficulty receiving this position of authority, this anointing of king, um, like anybody would. And so Samuel and the Lord knows that there's going to be some hesitation, there's going to be some reservation. And he does this all the time with his people because he understands the shock and the fear that might come with this. Um, you know, when, when he called Moses, he appeared to Moses in a burning bush, he made Moses' staff turn into a serpent. And he made his hand leprous and then healed it of leprosy, all in the same moment, just to show Moses his power and his authority and that God is going to be with him. It's not just Moses going before him. In the same way here, God is giving these promises to Saul to help encourage him and build his confidence in God, really. Not in himself, but that God has told him that he's going to be ruler over his people and that God will be with him. And so God gives him these promises just to say, like, a little bit, drive it home a little bit more that what he says is true. Um, so, often when God calls us to do something, he does that for us. Um, so, we'll continue on here into verse 9. And this is a, a verse I'm going to stop and pause some time on. So, God gives him all these signs. Samuel tells him all these signs that he'll experience. And so, this is before Saul has even experienced them. It says, When Saul turned his back to leave Samuel, God gave him another heart, and all these signs came to pass. Um, again, without getting into too much application, God gave Saul another heart. It was God who affected that change, not Saul. Um, now, Saul may have had his confidence built in the promise of these signs, um, but Saul had to be willing for God to affect that change. Um, so clearly there's some sort of mindset shift in Saul here where Saul didn't maybe not have been fully on board with this even after hearing the signs, but once he heard the signs that they would happen, he's like, okay, well, maybe this is, maybe this is r- real. Like, God is going to be with me. And then that's when God changed his heart. Um, that's a permanent change, too. Now we see later, and I don't want to get too far ahead of myself, um, but a lot, Saul's ultimately a, an enormous tragedy. Um, Saul's kingship and reign is, to me, every time I read it, it actually brings a lot of sorrow um, because it really is a sad, sad story. Um, To me, it's one of the greatest tragedies that we read in the Bible. Um, You know, it it is an epic tale of, um, I guess, pride and downfall, and um, it's really sad. So we'll eventually, obviously, cover all that here. Um, So... But that doesn't mean Saul's like heart wasn't changed permanently here. I mean, he was changed. Um, so this is the moment that Saul began to trust God's calling in his life. So verse 10. When they came to Gibeah, behold, a group of prophets met him, and the Spirit of God rushed upon him, and he prophesied among them. And when all who knew him previously saw how he prophesied with the prophets, the people said to one another, What has come over the son of Kish? Is Saul also among the prophets? 
And a man of the place answered, And who is their father? Therefore it became a proverb, Is Saul also among the prophets? When he had finished prophesying, he came to the high place. So pause there. Um, I thought that was really interesting. I was like, I, I, in the context, had no idea what that little proverb even meant. Like, is Saul also among the prophets? Okay, what does that, what does that mean? So I had to do some research there. It makes more sense. Um, so Saul will become known a lot um, at the early part of his kingdom for performing well beyond his abilities. For doing things which are obviously not through him. They're God's power working through him. Uh, but there are certain things that happen where he defends Israel or, um, against all odds. And so it became a phrase like, well, is Saul not also, is he also among the prophets? As in like, he is performing well beyond what his expectation is. He's a, he's a small, lowly person from the clan of Benjamin, you know, from the lowest of tribes in Israel, yet he's prophesying. Um, obviously, it's, it's just clear to people that it's obvious Saul is not acting on his own. It is not that Saul's, you know, just willed himself to go prophesy. It's clear that God is working in his heart to make that happen. Um, so, verse 14. Saul's uncle said to him and to his servant, Where did you go? And he said, To seek the donkeys. And when he, we saw that they were not to be found, we went to Samuel. And Saul's uncle said, Please tell me what Samuel said to you. And Saul said to his uncle, He told us plainly that the donkeys had not been found, or had been found, sorry. But about the matter of the kingdom of which Samuel had spoken, he did not tell him anything. This is kind of like Saul's first decision as a king, or as anointed of Israel. And he probably made a wise one, not sharing necessarily all of that, because I'm not sure other people would have been ready to receive that yet. Um, Samuel had not yet called all the people to Israel. It's not like Sam, uh, Saul had been had the position of king over Israel yet. He had just been anointed to be king. We see that with David too. David gets anointed well before he actually becomes king. Um, so to sit there and tell his uncle, "Yeah, I'm about to be king. Samuel's about to go up there and make me king," you know, we kind of saw what happened when when what happens when you do that through the story of Joseph, you know, who went before his brothers and told him about the dreams and kind of had this position of pride and arrogance, and that did not end, I guess it did end well, but at the, that moment in time, that act did not end well. Um, so it was probably a very wise choice, and that was probably out of some of Saul's humility. He probably realized that he shouldn't, shouldn't necessarily disclose that information yet. So moving on, 17. Uh, now Samuel called the people together um, to the Lord at Mizpah, and he said to the people of Israel, Thus says the Lord, the God of Israel, I brought, you, brought up Israel out of Egypt, and I delivered you from the hand of the Egyptians and from the hand of all the kingdoms that were oppressing you. But today you have rejected your God, who saves you from all your calamities and your distresses. And you have said to him, Set a king over us. Now therefore present yourselves before the Lord by, the tri- by your tribes and by your thousands. Interesting here, um, God again voices his displeasure to the Israelites, and it may have been one last window of opportunity to repent and say, okay, we're sorry, like, you are king, you are God, um, you control us, you take care of us, and you provide for us, we don't need another, another man. Um, now, obviously that's not what happens, but this may have been one last chance for them to realize their mistake. He, you know, God makes it very clear who had, the power to, who had the power to save them and to rescue them and to provide for them. Um, and it wasn't necessarily a king. So um, God is positionally the king of Israel. Um, so moving on. Then Samuel brought all the tribes of Israel near, and the tribe of Benjamin was taken by Lot. He brought the tribe of Benjamin near by its clans, and the clan of the Matrites was taken by Lot, and Saul the son of Kish was taken by Lot. But when they sought him, he could not be found. So they inquired again of the Lord, Is there a man still to come? And the Lord said, Behold, he has hidden himself among the baggage. Then they ran and took him from there. And when, they, when he stood among the people, he was taller than any of the people from his shoulders upward. And Samuel said to all the people, do you see him whom the Lord has chosen? There is none like him among all the people. And all the people shouted, Long live the king. Then Samuel told the people the rights and duties of the kingship, and he wrote them in a book and laid it up 
up before the Lord. Then Samuel sent all the people away, each one to his home. Saul also went to his home at Gibeah, and with him went men of valor whose hearts God had, had touched. But some worthless fellows said, How can this man save us? And they despised him and brought him no present. But he held his peace. So that last chunk there will touch a few things. So verse 20 and 21, um, it says that lots were taken and the tribes and Saul was ultimately chosen by lot. Don't think that that was by luck or chance because it was clearly ordained by God. Um, God made that all happen. Um, also, obviously, the point to highlight um, here that everyone's probably kind of chuckling at is that Saul hid among the luggage. Like, all these thousands of tribes of people, they're there to have this great ceremony to say, this person is going to be king, and when it's, he's picked, he's not there. It's kind of a funny, funny-looking situation, you know, and you can imagine, like, all the people, like, where, in, where is this person that's been chosen? Like, we're all supposed to be here, and then when they find him, that's probably even funnier to, like, look and be like, He's, he's hiding among all this stuff. Um, so, you know, that's... Yeah, I found another interesting thing is that once they found him, it's not like he got up and walked with them up to the, you know, to the place where he'll be chosen as king and um, hailed. He, uh, they carried him. It says they took him from the luggage and carried him over there. So he didn't stand up until he got into that place. So they just saw this man... They grabbed him and then they carried him over to the sta- you know, to the, not the stage, but the, the main place. And that's when he stood up. And then everybody was like, "Oh, he's really, really tall. That's cool." Um, so it's kind of interesting. And we'll touch more on Saul's, you know, why the what was Saul thinking um, when he was hiding behind the luggage? Um, there are two thoughts behind that um, that I that I read. One is clearly we see that Saul does have a humble character. So. It is possible that Saul was kind of afraid of the position. I mean, he was humble enough to be like, man, I don't, I don't want this authority. It may have been this like, final push to be like, this is not what I want to do. Um, though I, I find it hard to go with that one simply because it says God gave him another heart. And so we see where Saul kind of built, gained this confidence in the Lord's promises. Um, the other thought was that, I mean, Saul was present when Samuel said these things, said... Um, when the Lord spoke through Samuel and said, I brought you up out of Israel and out of Egypt, and I delivered you from the hand of the Egyptians and from the hand of the kingdoms that were oppressing you, um, but today you have rejected your God. That may have been like a big red flag to Saul. I mean, he may have been like, whoa, if this is not God's will for the people of Israel, I don't want to be the leader of this people. So I thought that was an interesting point, an interesting take on it. Saul may have been, you know, hesitant to accept that responsibility because he didn't think it was the right thing for Israel. Um, though God had clearly called him to do it. Um, so at this point, you know, he's free of really of that guilt um, that, that, Israel's commi- that sin that Israel's committing. Another interesting point, um, the people of Israel shout, once he's up there, they shout, long live the king. That's the first time Saul is called the king. And he was called the king by the people, not by Samuel, not by God. Um, because God was to be their ultimate ruler. It was kind of the mentality there. Um, now, he's going to be their earthly king. I mean, he's going to be established as the position of king. But the reality is that the people already had this position of authority out of whack. They already were like, all right, Saul is our guy. Saul is our king. That's who we follow. God aside, we have a person now. Um, so I thought that was an interesting, um, interesting point. Um, Samuel then takes and writes down the rights of kingship, um, and he puts them in the presence of the Lord, again symbolic, showing that the Lord is actually the final authority. The rules and the authority of the king are given, to, given by God, um, not by the position. Um, and so, and then here at the, again we see at the end that... Uh, you know, whenever you're placed into a position of authority and often whenever you're following God's will, there's going to be adversity. There are going to be people who oppose you. There are going to be things that oppose you. And here, there are some, you know, it says worthless fellows in my, in my um, translation, but I know some say wicked men um, who opposed him. And so at the time, like the Philistines and the Ammonites and there are a bunch of tribes who were really oppressing Israel and a lot of the tribes, um, Benjamin included, had suffered significantly under these 
these people. And so um, they probably looked at Saul and were like, this man, he, he can't save us from what we've experienced. He can't save us from what's going on. Um, and uh, again, Saul being early in his reign made a very wise decision and kept his peace. Um, you know, there's no point to give credence to that kind of uh, insubordination early on in the kingdom. Again, you know, he's just now being established as, as king over Israel. Um, so let's dive into some talking points here. Um, I know I've already talked a lot, but uh, there are three things I want us to take away from this, and I'll, I'll elaborate. Um, it's talking about, I want to talk about trusting in God's timing, trusting in his power, and trusting in his plan. I thought about being cliche and changing timing to providence, so I've got the three Ps, but, you know, I just couldn't. I had to leave it. I had to leave it timing, so we can't do providence, power, and plan. Um, so the first one is going to be trusting in God's timing. We can't make one of those cliche sermons. Um, so we talked about it briefly um, beforehand, um, and Chet talked about it some last week, but Israel desired a king before God planned for them to have one. He... Uh, God had a plan, a specific plan for them to walk and to follow in, but they desired to deviate from that because they thought that's what was best. Um, They put their own desires before the desires of God, um, before their desire to even follow God. They allowed outward pressure of culture and of strife and fear to dictate what they were doing, um, what they wanted. So, ironically, they decided to take their... Um, leadership out of God's hand and put it into a man's hand. You know, that's kind of ironic there to, to really think about when you take, take a step back and say like, okay, so these people, the Israelites, literally said, God, you're not good enough. A, a man is going to be better for us. We want to be like those other cultures. They're, you know, they're oppressing us. They're causing stress for us. So clearly an answer is to be like them so that we can push them back. Um, we, you know, it's easy to look at Israel and be like, what are you thinking? I mean, God took you out of Egypt. He led you with all these miraculous signs. Like, they just came off a battle that God caused the Philistines to, to fight themselves. Like, they just came off a victory that was caused directly from God's power and prayer to God. And now they're asking for a king because God's not good enough. Um, so, they allowed the cultural norms and beliefs to infiltrate their faith. Let's not allow that same type of stress or pressure from our culture around us or the circumstances we find ourselves in to influence our faith, um, our belief in God's provision for us. So God has a purpose and a plan. Trust in his timing because he knows the right time for you. Um, he's got a purpose and he's got a, a plan for you to walk and to follow in. Just like he had a timing, he had time set aside for a king to be anointed over Israel. Like, he had planned for that to happen. Just not right now. But the Israelites got impatient. Um, And what we say when we get to this point of of fear or allowing culture to influence us or if we're anxious or frustrated because of our circumstances or under a lot of fear or anxiety, um, we're not trusting in God's timing. And what we end up saying is we end up trying to sacrifice growth and God's plan for our lives simply for comfort. That's really what we end up saying. Um, we say that I would almost rather be comfortable and miss God's plan for my life. That's what we say. Um, you know, that's what we say when we don't trust God. When we worry and when we're anxious, that's what we're saying. Um, we're telling God, I don't trust you. I don't want your plan for my life because your plan makes me uncomfortable. Provide for me now, right now. I would rather be free of this stressful situation and miss out on your timing than wait for you to come through for me. That's what we say when we worry. God, I just want this worry, this fear, this struggle, this situation, this discomfort, fill in the blank, to go away right now. And I don't want you to want, I don't want what you want because what you want is just too hard and it takes too long to get there. I'd rather be free of this feeling. I would rather be comfortable right now then wait for your plan and your timing. Give me what I want now so that I won't feel this way any longer. I don't want what you want. 
so it, it's funny because it's not funny, but one of the cool things about being asked to, to teach sometimes is that God teaches you. Like God has very significantly, I mean, I've very, very much experienced these three things that we're talking about within the last few weeks, and God has really convicted me, honestly, while I was trying to prepare for this sermon. I, there were times where it was just tough for me to continue because it was hard to hear. Um, so let me share, I'm going to share a little bit about my circumstance to you. Um, I think most of you know, many of you know that Michelle and I just sold our house which was an incredible blessing. It sold in three days and above what we asked for. So it was a huge blessing. That huge blessing has turned into an enormous amount of stress because we have to be out March 29th and we have nowhere to go. That is like, I have a wife and a one-year-old to, to take care of and to place somewhere and like, I have nowhere to go. But fortunately, you know, I, I do have some, back, um, some safety net because our church is amazing. Um, and two families have already offered their basement to us. But even then, it's still stressful. I mean, that's an that's a intense situation that we find ourselves in. Not necessarily the same situation that Israel was in with people, like, getting killed and stuff. But still, in our lives today, I mean, I've been very stressed. Um, sinfully so, I'll admit. Um, so, the other day... I was actually so discouraged because I had actually lined up something for us to work out. Um, I, I really thought it would. I had lined up a really awesome courtesy officer job, which um, I'm a police officer, if you didn't know, um, where I could live in an apartment and live rent-free as long as I just took care of some of their noise complaints and stuff like that. And um, As much as a challenge as it would be switching from a home to a, an apartment, we'd be switching from a mortgage to $0 a month. So that was like a very... It was just an awesome opportunity. And uh, the manager I was talking to was very on board with it. She sounded like it was going to happen, and it fell through. Didn't happen. Um, and that was like a really big blow, especially because I was like, man, Lord, I'm following what you have for me. Uh, we're, I feel like I'm living on the edge because I don't know what's coming, but I know you're going to provide. So here it is. This is what you're going to provide. And then it didn't work out. So I was really discouraged, and I was thinking, I was praying, and I was talking to God, uh, talking to God about it. And I actually... I find my, found myself asking God to make the very next thing, the very next opportunity work because I was tired of worrying about it. I actually found myself almost asking for that. I mean, I, I was so anxious and I was so worked up and so stressed that I was like, Lord, I'm just tired of this. Make this next thing work. What a, what a lack of faith. I was asking for God to forgo what his plan and purpose was in my life because I was stressed, because I was tired. It was that simple. I was, I was worrying. I was anxious. I mean, I was really asking God to forgo his plan just because I was tired and I wanted that stress to go away. I was really saying, God, I don't like how long you're taking to provide this need for me. And my family, so uh, I just need the next thing to work. I don't want your best. I just want the next thing because that would be better than waiting a few more weeks or months for the right thing. The next thing is better than the right thing. That's what I'm saying. That's totally illogical. So I caught myself thinking this, and I, I, like it shocked me. Like I had a, an emotional, like physiological reaction to <laughs> discovering that thought process. Um, why would I really be willing to give up God's best in my life just for a few weeks or months of discomfort? Why would I be willing to do that? But here's the thing. Sin is really deceiving. Sin is very, very deceiving. Especially, especially the sin of worry. Especially the sin of anxiety. And a lot of people won't preach that sin or that worry is sin anxiety is sin, but it is because it's a lack of faith in God. It's not trusting that he has what's in store for you. God talks about it. Jesus talks about it, addresses it so many times. He talks about dressing the lilies of the field and the feeding the birds of the air and how he takes care of them. Why would he not take care of you? You know, and another, I thought a little bit deeper about it and sin is so deceiving. And if we follow that trail a little bit further, if we if we do 
and allow our anxiety or our worry to win that battle. And I actually got what I wanted. Uh, where would I be in six, 12 months? Where would I be? Not in God's best, which means I would have even more anxiety. I'd have even more fear. I'd have even more discomfort. None of those things, the things that I tried to escape were amplified in the future because I did not follow God's plan or wait on his timing. This is exactly what we see with Israel. The story of Israel and the, all the kings that lead Israel, it's rough to read. So, I mean, it really is really difficult to read that all the kings that go through Israel and Judah. It, it's, it's pretty tough. And you, you honestly, you almost forget which king does what because it, they all seem to do the same thing over and over and over again. Rebel, rebel, rebel. So Israel, in their effort to avoid the stress and the, the fear of the surrounding tribes overcoming them and oppressing them, they traded all of that for a king that oppressed them and created more anxiety, more fear more struggle, more hardship. That's what sin does. Sin lies. It tells you that, yeah, if you just, if you just do what you want now, if you get what you want right now, even, it, it even says that like in the certain temptations, it'll be like, if you just do this now, the temptation goes away. If you just take care of this right now, you won't feel this stress again for a while. But then the next time it comes around, it's even harder to break. It's even harder to get rid of. It's even harder to overcome. Your circumstances are worse and are harder to, t- uh, to overcome. And again, I talked about how Saul's kingship is a huge tragedy. And it starts strong. I mean, honestly, it's hard to point out anything Saul did wrong here. You know, Saul starts out with humility. He's quiet. There's wisdom in silence a lot of times. And twice in this circumstance, I think he was wise and not sharing things that he could have shared. But ultimately, Saul becomes prideful, he becomes arrogant, and he has some serious consequences for him and the nation of Israel. So, don't limit, um, don't limit this, obviously, to just my housing situation. Um, wherever you are right now, whatever you're waiting on, whatever challenge you're facing, trust in God's timing. He knows what you need. And he knows when you need it. Even better than you do. He is a good father and a loving father. Trust him. See what you can learn from where you're at. Galatians 6.9 says, Let us not become weary in doing good, for at the proper time we will reap a harvest if we do not give up. Isaiah 40.31 But those who wait upon the Lord will renew their strength. They will mount up with wings like eagles. They will run and not grow weary. They will walk and not faint. When we wait on the Lord, He gives us a newfound strength to endure. So even when we're stressed or anxious or frustrated, if we wait on the Lord, He is faithful to free us from those anxieties and provide a peace even in the turmoil. Therefore, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, Let us also lay aside every weight and sin which clings so closely. Let us run with endurance the race that is set before us, looking to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. Consider him who endured from sinners such hostility against himself, so that you may not grow weary or faint-hearted. In your struggle against sin, you have not yet resisted to the point of shedding your blood. And you have, have you forgotten the exhortation that addresses you as sons? My son, do not regard lightly the di- discipline of the Lord, nor be weary when reproved by Him. For the Lord disciplines the one He loves and chastises every son whom He receives. For it is... It is for discipline that you have to endure. God is treating you as sons. For what son is there whom his father does not discipline? If you are left without discipline in which all have, persi- all have participated, then you are illegitimate children and not sons. 
Besides this, we have had earthly fathers who disciplined us, and we respected them. Shall we not much more be subject to the Father of spirits and live? For they disciplined us for a short time, as it seemed best to them. But he disciplines us for our good, that we may share his holiness. For the moment, all discipline seems painful rather than pleasant. But later, it yields the peaceful fruit of righteousness to those who have been trained by it. That's Hebrews 12, 1 through 11. Discipline is not equal with punishment. God is developing discipline in us. God's discipline is a way to make us grow. God uses every challenge we face to shape us into a Christ-like follower. Do not miss out on His best plan for your life or the growth that He offers through hardship because of your fear. So next point. So next point is uh, trusting in God's power. And on that same mindset, how, how can we change a spirit of fear? How can we get overcome this anxiety, this fear, this frustration, this doubt? How do we overcome it? Remember, when Saul was turning to leave Samuel, God gave him another heart. Saul had an internal battle, clearly, that we we're not necessarily privy to. But imagine Saul's position there. You know, he went simply to find and ask a question and then was thrown this huge responsibility on him. I'm sure his first inclination was to like try and stop what was happening. He had that doubt and how to, that he had the capabilities to handle that situation. So when you encounter things like that, don't be afraid to ask for help. God has the power to alter the state of your heart. You see it all through Scripture where He either hardens, He can soften, He can change hearts. If you're living in a spirit of fear or anxiety or some other sinful state of mind, God has the power to change that. You just have to ask Him and beg Him to do that. Lord, I believe, help my unbelief. And often in the life of a believer, he works consistently to change your heart. Through consistent obedience and desire of obedience even, he works and he wills in us a new heart, changing us to be more like him over time. But sometimes we do face these inward battles that only the Lord can win. We can't win them. We We can't just will ourselves to not worry. I mean, in that moment where I was sitting there fretting over anxiety, what was I doing? I was talking to God. I wasn't like, I just can't. Can't be anxious anymore. Just need to stop being anxious. You know? That's not how it works. You know? Please don't go up to a friend who's struggling with worry and doubt and say, just stop. Just stop doing that. That's not, you know, that it's not how it works. You have to talk to the Lord and ask. Again, I say that the Lord is the one who affects the change. We just have to be willing to receive that change. And then you see, you know, Saul hides along the, ba- the baggage. You know, he hides from his responsibilities and fear. You know, whether or not, you know, he was in fear of, you know, God's anger against Israel or in fear of the responsibilities of the kingship, you know, he did not have the confidence to lead Israel at that moment. And he hid from it. You know, he had just, like, gone through these three signs just a week earlier. He, he even prophesied with prophets. I mean, it was clear God was with him, yet he still hid. There's no question that at this point God had ordained him to be king. So when God calls you to a mission or a purpose, don't hide or run from it. When God has given you a clear goal or task, don't, don't flee. That turns out bad too. Like Jonah is a good example of that. So you may not get swallowed by a fish, but... So even if you do not believe that you have the strength to carry out that task, doubt leading to unwillingness is really a lack of faith in God's ability to provide for you. Um, Again, going back to Moses. So Moses was walking by and saw a burning bush that was not being consumed. And so it struck him as as wild. And so he drew drew him to it. 
And again, Moses was just wandering around looking for a sheep. It's kind of funny how he's looking for an animal and God, careful if one of your pets or something runs away. God may be calling you to be president or something. So just watch out. But (laughs) Moses was looking for a sheep, finds a burning bush, and is like, this is curious. What is this? And God lays on him to, to be the salvation of Israel. That's crazy. Like, he did not go there expecting that. And then just like God gives Saul some promises and shows him, just gives him a little bit of encouragement, God again gives Moses some crazy signs. I mean, he throws a wooden staff on the ground and it becomes a snake. And when he picks it back up, it becomes a staff. What? He puts his hand in his coat and pulls it out and all of a sudden he's got leprosy. And puts it, what a powerful way to be like, I'm with you. That's a terrifying way to say it. But, I mean, that's what happened. And what was Moses' response? Excuse after excuse after excuse. Moses made so many excuses. And eventually, Moses said, um, he complained. And he actually, literally Moses says, Lord, send someone else. You have made a mistake in picking me. That's what he said. And it says, the Bible says, the Lord's anger was kindled against Moses. Not because Moses doubted himself, but in Moses' doubt for himself, he doubted God and God's ability. So be careful. Humility is good, but humility to the point of self-deprecation and saying that, like, you're not, like, you are, God, you are incapable of using me to fulfill your, your plan or your promise is lack of faith and sinful. Be careful of that. First Tim, or Second Timothy um, one seven says, "For God has not given us a spirit of fear, but of power and of love and of a sound mind." If God has called you to do something, He's going to work in you to make it happen. God is going to take care of you and make things happen, and it might not be easy. There might be more challenges along the way, but God is going to work in you to make it happen. Trust in Him. Trust in His power to use you. Like he's saying he's going to. Philippians 2.14 For it is God who works in you to will and to act in order to fill his good purpose. It is he who works in you to will and to act in order to fulfill his good purpose. God has a good plan for us. And it's him who, who fulfills it. It's him who calls us and it's him who does the working. We just have to have a willing spirit. We have to be willing. And sometimes that means enduring hardship. A lot of times that means enduring hardship. If God's called you to a plan, it's not easy. And God will often bring about a lot more than you expect. So that takes us to the third point, trusting in God's plan. Don't hide from it. God's hand is always, always working in the background. He is always working behind the scenes. Always. 100% of the time in your life, he's working behind the scenes. Saul went to find a couple of missing donkeys and ended up being anointed the king of Israel. That is, is wild. So let's extrapolate the circumstances a little bit and think about it. Think about the timing of all the little things in Saul's life that led up to that moment. I mean, things worked out perfectly up until that he, he came to Samuel at the time that he did. Every meal that Saul took on the way, every bathroom break was ordained. I mean, really. Uh, every single step of the way, every time they stopped to eat, every time they talked to a stranger, every time they, they went to a different city to look for those donkeys, that was God's plan for them to arrive at the time to meet Samuel for that sacrifice. God is working in our lives, and he's, he's got a great plan for us. He's always working behind the scenes. You know, God is probably the one who made the donkeys run away. You know? And he made them run away when he, when he did. You know, just like the sheep left when Moses went to find those. Like, that was probably God, you know, sending them off. Because he wanted to get you in a, a place to blow your mind. So... Those were all things that that God made happen. So don't doubt that God is not working, or don't doubt that God is working in your life behind the scenes. He's working in every little thing. He's present in every moment. 
we just aren't always aware or in tune with the Spirit enough to notice His working. That's the truth. And the reality is, like, you may not see His working until the final product. You may not see everything that He did until you've achieved the goal. And that's really tough. That's challenging. But that's part of our growth. That's part of our faith in Him. That's part of our endurance. It is, going back to my housing experience, it's, it's really funny because every time that Michelle and I have needed a place to live, God has done some really crazy things to make it happen. And I, I don't have detail to go into all of those things. But just like between us buying this house that we just sold and the apartment before that and the place, I mean, like, God had really done some really weird things in the background to make it all happen the way it did. So, like, who am I to be worried and anxious about this time? God has already proven himself faithful in the past, and I know we can all say that. If we're a believer in here and our hearts are changed, God has proven himself faithful to us and blessed us in some way in the past that we should not doubt him in the future because he's going to provide. Ephesians 2.10, For we are God's handiwork created in Christ Jesus to do good works which God prepared in advance for us to do. God has a plan. God has a purpose and a plan for us. Hebrews 13, 20 and 21. Now may the God of peace, who through the blood of the eternal covenant brought back from the dead our Lord Jesus, that great shepherd of the sheep, equip you with everything good for doing his will. And may he work in us what is pleasing to him through Jesus Christ, to whom be glory forever and ever. Amen. May he equip you with everything good for doing his will. God is not going to give you a task and then expect you to do it on your own. He's going to equip you with the things that you need to complete that task. So in conclusion, trust in God's timing, trust in His power, and trust in His plan for you. We have an enormous God, this God that created the universe by the words of His mouth, like created these things that we can't comprehend, that we haven't discovered. Like God did all that through the word of His mouth. That same God who exists beyond time that we can't even fathom cares and loves you so intimately that he has a specific design for your life. He is actively working. He's actively working in you and in your surroundings to make you into a righteous follower of Jesus. Do not allow the devil or your sin to distract you from God's overwhelming presence in your life. Because it's there. He is active and he's working. Trust and obey him for his glory and for your good. Let's pray. Father, we thank you again for today and we thank you for your truth and your word. Um, even the fact that you've given us this Bible to, to read and to study and to know you more um, is an act of overwhelming love. So God, we just thank you for your truth Lord, we thank you for your, your great love for us and that as big and grand and great as you are, worthy to be worshipped forever and for eternity, you care so intimately about each and every person in this room, about each and every person. You have a specific design and purpose and plan that you, though you are so grand, you are so close. Thank you for your great love for us. And Lord, your greatest display of love was Christ. That you, you welcome sinners to love you. You welcome sinners into your presence by the blood of Jesus. So as we take this time to worship Jesus, to worship His sacrifice and to be thankful and remember His sacrifice, and Lord, purify our hearts, clear our minds and our, our thoughts of worry or anxiety or fear, anything that would distract us or Keep us away from you, God. Any kind of distraction, Lord. Remove that and help us be close. Help us to feel your presence in our lives, not just in this room or in this moment, but each and every day. Let us be receptive to your spirit and to your working. And let us not hide from your purpose in our lives. Let us go forth with confidence and power knowing that you are with us. God, equip us for every good thing that you have in store for us and work in us 
to change our hearts, to be more like Jesus. In your holy name we pray and worship you. Amen.